0: to episode four of Gather and Gain's Prophecy Times podcast. Today's episode is called Not Destined for Wrath. Now, we're just going to jump straight in because I've got so much content to cover and not enough time to cover it. You've probably noticed that we're trying to keep it to about 30 minutes for each of these podcasts, but last week I had an epic fail and I'm concerned about this week as well, but we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, Now, last week uh, or the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the blessed hope. That is the, the promise that Jesus made to the believer that he would come back again from the Father's house to receive us unto himself into the clouds and then continue on back to the Father's house, relocating us from earth to heaven in what we call the rapture. Last week we saw in Scripture uh, the, the word rapture and its usage, and we saw of the the biblical precedent, if you will, of other raptures that are prophesied to happen in the future and that have already taken place in Scripture. And so we see that the rapture of the church is our blessed and our living hope that we are, pre- excuse me, that we are pressing toward and eagerly are waiting for, or at least we should be. But what we are yet to discuss is why. Why is the rapture required? It's in there. It's a biblical doctrine. We find it in John 14. We find it in 1 Thessalonians 4. We find it in 1 Corinthians 15. But why? Why is it required? Why is it there? Why is it needed? Now, as a quick reminder before we step into this, what I want us to uh, keep as our foundation as we go through prophecy is that the Bible is intended to be read plainly and interpreted literally. That's really important that we remember. See, God means what He says, and He says what He means. The other thing that's interesting is that God wants us to know His will. He doesn't want us to be confused about things that is put in His Word. Now, God does use parables at times. He uses stories. He uses picturesque descriptions sometimes. And almost always... Following those things is an explanation of those descriptions or of those stories. But when it's not, what we have is context. Pre that verse, after that verse, pre that passage, after that passage. We have context to help us determine the meaning of the passages that we're reading. Now, when we spiritualize the text, uh, this, this changes things. Okay, And so I would argue that spiritualizing of the text has no place in reading or interpreting of Scripture because simply put, the Bible will either explain it or give us the context that we need in order to understand it. So as we discover and discern what the Bible says regarding His future plans and promises, we have to take the Bible for its plain sense meaning. We've got to read it as it is. And with that in mind, we're asking the question today, why is the rapture required? Why is it needed? Why, is, why, is, why did Jesus promise it? Why is it a biblical doctrine? In order for us to understand the why, I need to take you to other parts of Scripture that show you about something else that's going to happen in the future. See, there is a fast approaching time period that God has foretold that God has set aside, if you will, for God to pour out His wrath upon the evil in the world, for God to pour out His wrath upon the unbelieving world. And alongside that, this wrath, this period of time that God has set aside, is for God to discipline and to refine and in the end, to save the remnant of His nation Israel, His people Israel. That is what this future tribulation period is, is about. Uh, for further reading, check out Daniel 9 verses 24 to 27. That, that really frames, if you will, this future period of time and the book of Revelation. Now this period of time is prophesied about throughout Scripture and I'm going to read you a few to get you to understand. I know it's heavy, But to get you to understand that God intends, we don't like this as Christians either. We like the lovey Jesus. We don't like the judgy Jesus, right? But truth be told, He's one and the same. In Jesus' first coming, He came for salvation. In His second coming, He's going to come for judgment and war, And in the lead up to his second coming, Jesus has foretold, God has foretold a seven year period of time where judgment and his wrath is going to be poured out on the earth. Let me read you a few things. If you've got your Bible, make sure you've got it open. Uh, Hit pause in a second and find Isaiah chapter 13 verses 6 to 13. Isaiah 13 verses 6 to 13 says this. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes." cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of offer. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of His fierce anger." Wow, there is a time coming that will look like that. Jeremiah 30 verses 5 to 7. Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 5 to 7. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. We probably shouldn't ask that question in the 21st century. But of course, that's ridiculous, right? So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. That's key. Two things are key. It's called here the time of Jacob's trouble. And he also says that there is none like it. There is no other period of time like it. And as we discover more in scripture, what it means is there is no other period of time that is as bad, as severe in relation to God's judgment and wrath being poured out. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, that is the angel, Archangel Michael, shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. So in the previous verse, we read that there is, n- there is no other time like this time. And here we read that uh, there sh- this shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. A time of such great trouble. And then in Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 to 22 in Jesus' Olivet Discourse. For then there will be great tribulation. Again, listen to these words. Such has, not been, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. This is Jesus talking this is the creator of the world. This is, the, this is God who flooded the whole earth at the time of Noah. And he says that this time in the future, this time of wrath and judgment from God upon an unbelieving world is going to be worse than any other time in all of history, past and future. That means it's gonna be worse than Noah's flood. The future judgment of God The wrath of God, this period of time that is the tribulation period, is going to be worse than the flood of Noah. And if God didn't hit pause, no one would survive. It is a time of God's wrath, fierce anger and judgment. Now, I've I've been mentioning seven years. Where does that come from? Because so far we haven't heard seven years. But throughout scripture in different places we see that this time is referred to time and again by a seven year period or two three and a half year blocks. Okay, obviously three and a half, three and a half, seven. Daniel 9, verse 27 describes this period as one seven year block. Revelation 12, 14 describes this period of consisting of two, and what the Bible says is times, time. And half a time and if you do a little research on that it means two years one years and half a year okay so two, consisting of two periods of time that is two plus one plus a half which is two periods of three and a half years which is seven years Revelation eleven three 3 describes it as two twelve hundred and sixty day periods of time keeping in mind that biblical years were three hundred and sixty Days, not like our uh, our calendar now, which is 365. The biblical years go off what I think is the lunar calendar, uh, but regardless, it's 360 days. So what is 1260 with 360-day years? You have two three and a half year periods, two 1260-day periods. That's Revelation 11:3. And then in Revelation 11.2 and 13.5, we get uh, this period of time described as two 42 month periods. Again, 42 months is three and a half years. So here we find that this this tribulation period as described in Revelation, we'll get to that shortly, is a seven year future period of time. Now, God's wrath, because this is what this period of time is for. It's for God pouring out His wrath and judgment upon an unbelieving world and to refine His nation, Israel. Now, if you turn to Revelation, starting at chapter 6, and you can't do this now, but reading right through to Revelation chapter 19, those chapters describe uh, and take us on a journey through this seven-year period. Now, some would argue that all the events described in Revelation have already taken place. Unfortunately, the only possible way that you can come to that conclusion is if you seriously spiritualize and symbolize almost that entire book. Let me give you an example. If you've got Revelation open now, turn to Revelation chapter 16, starting at verse 18. Revelation 16, starting at verse 18. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city, that is Jerusalem, was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God, to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Now, if you do a little research on the weights of talents, it's roughly about 35 kilos. Each hailstone during this plague in Revelation here is almost 35 kilos. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. Has that happened? Of course it hasn't happened. So how do we remedy that passage if we believe that all of Revelation has been fulfilled already? What we need to do is spiritualize that passage or symbolize it in order to come to that conclusion. See, we have no record in history of an earthquake such as that that's spoken of or hail that is 35 kilos in each hailstone. Jerusalem right now is not divided into three parts, nor has it ever been. We still have islands. We still have mountains. Uh, I, I don't know what this will look like exactly in the future, but in order to explain this passage away, as in many passages throughout Revelation, we have to spiritualize or symbolize. But as I've already said, spiritualization has no place in reading or interpreting Scripture. It's not right. That's not how we are to read scripture because as soon as you do that it becomes up to the interpreter's discretion and you've got a whole bunch of your truth and my truth but the truth is that revelation 6 to 19 perfectly describes what the old testament foretold of this yet future day of the lord this future seven year tribulation period it also pers- perfectly describes what jesus outlines to his disciples in what is known as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 25. Those passages align perfectly with what Revelation 6 through 19 speak of. So with that in mind, there there is an important distinction that we need to make in relation to this tribulation period that is detailed in Revelation 6 through 19. And that is that the entire seven years of that tribulation period is described as God's wrath. The whole seven years is God's wrath. There will be some people that argue that God's wrath only kicks off at this time or that time. But I believe biblically we can see that the wrath of God is that whole seven year period. First of all, Revelation describes seven seal judgments seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments in that order. Seal, trumpet, bowl, okay? Now, the first of the seal judgments we find in Revelation 6, and that launches the seven-year tribulation period. Revelation 6 verse 1, I'm going to read it to you. Now I saw, this is John talking of the vision that he saw. John has now been raptured into heaven at uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, and everything he sees now is in heaven. And so he's he's in the throne room of heaven and he's witnessing what's going on of this future time and future event. Now I saw when the lamb that is Jesus opened one of the seals, that is the first seal of the seven seal judgments, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Question is up front, who opened the seal? course it's Jesus. He opens the first seal and we find in Revelation chapter 6 verse 3, 5, 7, 9, 12 and then in Revelation 8 verse 1 Jesus opens every one of the seven seal judgments that occur from the beginning of the seven year tribulation. Jesus opens those. He opens the seal the judgment is poured out. Then we get to the trumpet judgments. The seven angels who blow the trumpets that initiate each of the trumpet judgments are given their trumpets at the throne of God. The implication is that they are given them by God. God gives them the trumpets which they blow and then the judgment is poured out. Revelation 8 verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. So what we know so far is that the seal judgments are opened by God and then poured out. The trumpet judgments, the trumpets are given to the angels by God. The trumpets are blown and the judgments are poured out. And then finally we arrive at the bowl judgments, Revelation 15. At the end of the tribulation, and by that I mean when we get to the bold judgments, we find in Revelation 15 verse 1 this statement. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. Key, last plagues, meaning there were previous ones. For in them the wrath of God is complete, Meaning the wrath of God ends at that point. You see, we get the bold judgments toward the end of the tribulation period and they finish the wrath of God. That's not when the wrath starts. They finish the wrath of God. They are the seven last plagues. Okay. The wrath begun much earlier. You see, the seal judgments at the beginning of the seven year tribulation period are opened by God. The trumpet judgments are given by the angel, uh, given to the angels by God and the bowl judgments complete and finish the wrath of God. See, because the tribulation judgments, seals, trumpets, bowls are all initiated by God, which span from the beginning of the tribulation to the end of the tribulation, culminating in Jesus' second coming, the whole seven-year tribulation period, therefore, must all be God's wrath. And that's really important that we understand that. And if that isn't enough, in Revelation 6, 14, 15, 16, and 19, we find of the judgments in each of those places, keep in mind that the seal judgments kick off in Revelation 6 and we find in Revelation 6 every one of these chapters speak of God's wrath from the seal judgments right right through until the second coming of Christ. So let me recap where we're at. God has revealed that there will be a future tribulation period. That is a specific seven year period of time in the future where God's wrath will be poured out on an unbelieving world. And during this time, God's going to use this as, a, as a, an opportunity or for the purpose of, I should say, disciplining his people, his nation, Israel. And the discipline is severe. You read elsewhere in scripture that two thirds of all the nation of Israel, that is all the pe- people in the nation of Israel will be killed. And only one third will be refined and protected and uh, saved in the end. This seven years will be unlike any time in all of history from the beginning of creation until that time. God's wrath will be so severe more than any other time. And we need to keep in our minds that all seven years biblically is all God's wrath. So how does, this, how does all of this help us answer the question, why is the rapture required? Because this is where we are. We want to understand why the rapture is required. Let me read to you some other verses that I hope will start to tweak your mind as to why the rapture might be required. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 to 6. But he was wounded, that is Jesus, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, and every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God has poured out on him the judgment and the wrath for our sins. Romans 5 verses 8 to 9, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus saves us from wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus delivers us from that. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now Jesus' words in Luke, chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, that is the day of the Lord, come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore, this is important. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There will be some people that will escape all these things that come to pass in the day of the Lord. And then finally in Revelation 3 verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So if we believe as the scriptures teach that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross for us, our sin that is deserved of God's wrath and judgment and ultimately death, Jesus took upon him on the cross. If we believe that, if we believe scripture when it says that God has not appointed the believer to wrath, that is God's wrath, and that Jesus delivers us from the coming wrath, this will help us to understand why the rapture is required. See, the rapture is required to remove the believer from experiencing the coming wrath of God. We are not to experience God's wrath. It's not for the believer. That's been poured out upon Jesus on the cross. See, I believe the Bible teaches that believers will be removed from the earth, that is our blessed hope, before God begins to pour out His wrath during the tribulation period. And I believe that if we understand why the rapture is required, that is to be removed and to be, um, uh, to not experience the wrath of God, I I believe that this helps us to also know when the rapture will take place. And that is before the seven year tribulation period. But we'll get into more of the when Uh, now and in uh, future weeks. But a closing thought I want to leave with you because we're fresh out of time. Some people argue that Christians won't be removed from the earth before the tribulation. They argue that the rapture will occur at a different time, either mid-tribulation or post-tribulation, after the tribulation. What we know is the tribulation is coming. Seven years of God's wrath, all of it God's wrath is coming. And alongside that truth, that knowledge that there's a future seven-year period of God's wrath called the, the tribulation period, we also know that God says in His Word that believers are exempt from the wrath of God. We're not exempt from the wrath of man or the sin of our flesh or the wrath of Satan. We're not exempt from trials and tribulations. We will go through all of that, but we are absolutely exempt from the wrath of God because Jesus took that upon Himself on the cross. So, when we put those two things together, if we understand those two things, then we are left with only two options of how those two things can be true. How this wrath is coming and believers are exempt. There's two options. Option one, God removes the church from the earth during that period of time. Like God did with Enoch before the flood came at the time of Noah. Or option two, God will divinely protect the church, the believers, through that period of time. Like God did with Noah during the flood. Enoch was taken out before the flood. Noah was divinely protected through the flood. Those are our only two options for this future period of time also. Wrath is coming, believers are exempt, we're either protected through it or removed from it. Let's look at divine protection briefly. If God will divinely protect believers through this tribulation period, then how do we explain the mass casualties of believers that we read about throughout Revelation? Revelation 13:15 said that says this in relation to the antichrist. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Those who don't worship the beast and worship God will be killed. Revelation 20, verse 4, Then I saw the souls, and elsewhere we see that it's multitudes. Then I saw the multitudes of souls. I added multitudes to this passage. We find it elsewhere. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. Multitudes are going to be killed during the tribulation, for worshiping God and not the beast this doesn't sound like divine protection and in fact it's not now I want us to turn to Revelation 3 10 to close what about removing the church before the tribulation this is option two and I want to use Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 to close here it says this because you have kept My command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. We read this before, but I want to highlight a couple of things. First of all, Jesus could have said to keep you through the hour of trial, like he did Noah. He kept and protected Noah through the flood. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, from, keep, him, keep us from the hour of trial. The implication there is removal, like, like Enoch was in the time leading up to the flood. The implication is removal, but there's more. Because not only did Jesus not say, through the hour of trial, He said, from the hour of trial. Secondly, notice that He didn't say, we'll keep you from the trial. If Jesus had in mind just to keep us from the trial then divine protection might actually fit here for this verse but he didn't he said he will keep us from the hour of trial you see you cannot be saved from the hour that is from the time period of trial by being any part of it the only way to be kept from the hour, that is that period of time of trial, is to keep people from entering that trial. That is the only way to keep people from an entire period of trial, is to prevent them from first entering it. And this is why the rapture is required. See, this verse makes no sense if God is going to divinely protect us through the tribulation period. It doesn't make any sense. Because he says here that he will keep us from the time period of the trial. He's going to keep us from that whole time period. The only way he can do that is to prevent us from entering that time period. How will he do that? By removing us, by the blessed hope, by rapturing us, by relocating us from earth to heaven before the commencement of that time period of trial. And this is why the rapture is absolutely required to keep us from the wrath of God. And this also is why the rapture is required before the tribulation period. And we're going to continue to biblically show you that truth time and again over the coming weeks. Thanks for joining our Prophecy Times podcast for another week. Next week, we're going to take a glimpse into heaven and we're going to look at who are the 24 elders. Really looking forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday, 5 pm. Much love and